And I just love that I can help people through helping myself by listening to other people's stories. You can find The Ranch Collective on Facebook and Instagram at Ranch Collective Podcast and can find the website at ranchcollective.weebly.com. You can also email me at pollichcompany at gmail.com. That's P-O-L-I-C-H company at gmail.com. Please leave the podcast or review wherever you're listening and tell your friends about me. It'll help new people find The Ranch Collective, which is the goal. Bonus, it's just me here, so I will do a happy dance whenever I get to find out that new people are listening. Thanks, guys. Today's guest is Amanda. She hosts Women of the Military podcast. She is a veteran, mom, and military wife. For those who didn't know, the military and veterans hold a very, very special place in my heart. My best friend is in the Air Guard. Her husband is an Air Force pilot. Josiah's brother's in the Army, and a lot of both of our extended families served at some point. So I will always, always, always share stories told by veterans and the organizations that they found and that support them. It was so much fun to interview Amanda for this episode and to chat about why she decided to start her podcast and share her experience. So from the bottom of my heart, I hope you enjoy. Please go check out her podcast as well. Hi, I'm Amanda. I am a military spouse and an Air Force veteran. I served in the Air Force for six years as a civil engineer and deployed to Afghanistan. And now I'm a stay-at-home mom, freelance writer, podcaster, and blogger. And my blog is called Airman to Mom, and my podcast is called Women of the Military. And the focus of the podcast is interviewing women who have served in the military and sharing their stories for community and for women who are looking to join the military to have women to hear their stories. And the blog kind of builds on top of the podcast and provides resources and information for women who are looking to join the military and what their experience is like and answer questions. So you run the blog and do the podcast and specifically about women in the military. What made you decide that that was the group you wanted to talk to and how did you decide what platforms you wanted to speak to those individuals on? So I started in 2017. I did a deployment series and it was mainly focused on the fact that I had deployed to Afghanistan and I wanted to share my story and I wanted to hear stories of other people who had deployed. And so thinking of like military, I was like, oh, it'll be like a bunch of guys telling their stories and like a handful of women. Well, it wasn't. It was almost all women. I only got one guy to respond. And then I also talked to my uncle who served during Vietnam. But all my, like, random people that I didn't know were women. And so I was like, oh, yeah, women, they're in the military, which you'd think I'd know since I was <laughs> in the military. But it just kind of was like a light bulb moment of, oh, I'm a woman, I can talk to women about military experiences, and I just found the stories that they told through that series fascinating, and I wanted to hear more, and so I stopped focusing on deployments and instead started focusing on military women, and that was where the podcast um, idea eventually came from. I gotcha. Do you think that your experience in the military was like shaped uniquely by your gender or do you think, I mean, you were in, you were in civil engineering, right? So that's a very male dominated field. I would assume in the military, the way it is in civilian life. Right. 
So do you think that your experiences were shaped by your gender? I think a little bit, but I had really good bosses when I wasn't deployed who did a good job of treating me just as a lieutenant in the Air Force. And I had a lot of opportunities to do stuff and no one ever was like, oh, well, you're a woman, you can't do it. They just, they treated us all the same. And I feel like I'm really lucky that I can say that when I was asked to do stuff, it wasn't ever based on like my gender. It was just like, this is the task that you need to do. Go get it done. And most of the time I was with a male lieutenant and he and I would go to do whatever task they told us to do. And so it wasn't like they were like, okay, he does this. And it was like, we were both set out to do the same thing. And so I think that there were some challenges I faced because I was a woman in having to speak up more and prove myself. But my overall leadership, I think, did a good job of treating everyone the same. That makes me super happy to hear because I have friends who are just kind of go in as like whatever the entry level is. I don't know what the right terminology is. Some of the female friends that I have had really, really negative experiences with their male leadership. Yeah, I feel like it's a mixed bag and I don't know if it's for sure, but it's something that I feel like when you're lower enlisted, you get treated not as good as officers, obviously. And then if you're a female, then you get treated, I think, sometimes even worse than male enlisted members. So it's like a double like thing against you. Like they treat enlisted people not as good as you probably should. And then if you're a female then they just have like stereotypes and some some of the male leaders not very good so this might be kind of a dumb question but i don't have any idea how like hierarchy in the military works so like you said you were a lieutenant where is that like is that would that be like a mid-level manager type level or how does that so it's kind of confusing because there's enlisted and then there's officer rank and so Uh, A basic enlisted person is like an E1, and an officer is an O1, so a lieutenant is an O1, so it's the lowest rank of officers, but an officer outranks all of the enlisted members, even like the chief master sergeant. It's not like you go around ordering them around (laughs) when you're a second lieutenant, but technically they salute you and you outrank them. And so the senior NCOs is... E7 to E9 are like the higher enlisted people and they're kind of the mid-level level management and then the younger officers work directly with the senior NCOs but the weird thing is even though the senior NCOs have the experience and the lieutenant is the one who makes the final decision and they're the ones where it like falls on them so it's kind of like a weird situation where like I was a lieutenant. I was just out of college and then I was making decisions, but I was using the resource of having someone who had been in the Air Force for 15 to 20 years to help me as I was making those decisions. If that's not confusing at all. That kind of makes sense. Cause uh, so if you're, if you are an officer, does that just mean you have some form of formal education? And training, because a lot of enlisted members have their degrees as well, and you can have your degree and enlist into the military. So 
but you to be an officer, everyone who's an officer has to have a degree and go through some sort of officer training. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Can someone who like, let's say someone in enli- like enlist when they're straight out of high school, 18 years old, would they be able to like make their way up to being an officer? They wouldn't be able to like climb the ladder. They would have to uh, t- to apply to become an officer and then they would do an officer training in the army. It's called officer candidate school and they would say, so well, they would stop being enlisted, go through an officer candidate school. And then when they they're done, they'd be a second lieutenant and then they'd go back into the army. Okay. Cause I, um, Kayla and I were talking about it when her husband was at his officer school and I did not understand what she was trying to explain to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can go from enlisted to officer, but you can't like work your way up all the ranks to enlisted and then become an officer. That's not how it works. It so it's kind of it's confusing, but it okay. makes sense. <laughs> okay, that kind of sort of makes sense. Um, so you were deployed in Afghanistan, correct? When was that? Like roughly what years? If you're, I'm assuming I was. I was gone from February to November of 2010. So pretty much all of 2010. What are some of the differences between, like, big differences between being there and being here? Well, I lived in a tent. That's kind of a big difference. (laughs) So I was in a tiny, they call it a FOB, a forward operating base, and the diameter was, like, a mile. So it wasn't very big. Uh, you could, like, run around it really easily, and you'd have to do, like, laps if you wanted, like, a few-mile workout. And so it wasn't very big, and there weren't very many people there, and we didn't have any lights at night because it was a blackout fob, so you would walk around in the dark with a flashlight, and you kind of learned where, like, boxes were and where you needed to go and learned how to see without... Uh, lights and then I lived in a tent and my office was a building and I guess like the biggest thing between being over there and being here is that like the only thing there was to do was work work out (laughs) or sleep and so we worked a lot and it was it was a crazy mission because we would go off base every once in a while to inspect the construction projects they were working on. And so it was always changing and there was a lot going on. But I would say the main thing difference is like you're always working, except now I have my own business and I'm always working. So maybe it's not so different. I was going to say, like, <laughs> means you never stop working. That's true. That's true. So, yeah, it's like that. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I thought was really interesting that you kind of talk about on your website was, like, the breakdown of technology between here and there. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, so when I was there in 2010, we the iPhone was, like, pretty new, so nobody really had an iPhone. I, like, shut off my phone. AT&T had this deal that you, like, didn't even have to pay any fees to keep your contract with them, and you could shut your phone off. So when I left, I shut my phone off, and then when I got home, I turned it back on, like, a few days before when I was flying back. And the only way I really communicated with my husband was they had an MWR tent, that had 10 computers in it and we got to use Skype to talk back and forth. But like you would have to go 
and hopefully not all 10 computers were being used and then you would wait and meet up with um I talked to my parents and my husband that way and then I sent emails home to like my friends and family who were wanting to know what was going on but I had very limited communication back home that is wow so you were already married when you went yes my husband and I have been married since 2007 oh man congratulations that's actually kick-ass thanks (laughs) um and he's also in the military. Yeah, he's still in the Air Force right now. What does he do? He does... He's actually trying to get into the Space Force. So he does space things that... He's working on satellites and... I, I don't know a lot about what he does, but it sounds really interesting. We watch a lot of, like, SpaceX stuff. Um, like, SpaceX launches and space... All these things. And, like, whenever there's an announcement about the Space Force, we're like, oh! exciting but we're waiting to find out if he's gonna get transferred out of the air force and into the space force and so yeah is it like is okay so is the space force like a department of the air force the way the marines are like a department of the navy yeah that's the president some the president trump signed the ndaa which is the national defense authorization act on december 20th of 2019 and that's when the space force was created and it's just like you said it's the way the marines are under the navy the space force is under the air force okay so like getting a transfer wouldn't be like i don't want to say it wouldn't be hard i don't know if it would be hard or not but it wouldn't be like maybe as hard as going from like the air force to the army or something yeah, well, they're currently building up the Space Force, and certain career fields, they have numbers that they need for the Space Force, and so they had a window in May where you could apply, and now they're doing the process of, like, picking out who's going to get selected. So, and it's like a, we don't know when we'll find out and what's going on. We should know by February of next year. That's super <laughs> exciting. Yeah. It's really cool to be part of something new and yeah. Where um, are you guys based out of right now? Uh, my husband works at the Pentagon and so Ooh. we live, yeah. <laughs> so you live close-ish? Uh, yeah, we live, he works not directly at the Pentagon um, building. So we live farther away on the outskirts of DC, which is nice because we're not like right in the middle of the craziness. I've heard that even prior to all of the craziness that's going on now, D.C. wasn't the most fun place to live. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we live a little bit farther outside of D.C., so it's it's not so bad. I like, I don't really like Virginia, but (laughs) that's important. I have family that's in Woodbridge. I don't know if you're close to there at all. I've heard of it. Okay, that's a step. (laughs) Yeah. Um. So, as far as going back to your um, blog, what has been, like, the most popular or well-received topic you've, like, talked about? So, I have a girl's guide to the military on my website to give women who are looking to join the military, like, a little handout to help them answer questions and help them know what options are available. And that's my most popular like downloadable thing that people are looking at 
And so I would say that is probably one of the most, and anything related to that, like how to join the military. What all's in this girl's guide to the military? Like, can you give a couple of specifics and I can send people to your website? (laughs) Yeah, so it has information, like, if you're looking into the military, like, a little bit about the different branches and enlisted versus officer, um, tips for how to get through boot camp, like, I cut my hair so I wouldn't have to worry about cut, like, putting it up in a bun every day, and... Uh, stuff to prepare for the physical fitness test and just basic military things to help people make decision on career branches and an officer enlisted. I love that. How short did you cut your hair? Did you like shave your head, cut it? or? Oh, no. I cut it. Your hair can't extend past the bottom of your collar. So I cut it like a pixie type cut, but not no, not shave my head. <laughs> my husband probably wouldn't have been happy. We were dating when I went through that. He probably wouldn't have been too happy about that. But he wasn't happy that I cut my hair. So <laughs> was it really long before? Yeah, and it's really long now. So yeah, uh, that's funny. I actually just cut five, like five inches off my hair, and I'm still. I like it, but also I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I know how that is. Um. So not only do you have this like guide for women who are interested in going into the military, but you also have like a whole bunch of advice for people who are transitioning out, right? Correct. Yes. That is awesome. What made you decide that that's something you should share with people? For me, when I left the military, I went through, they call it TAPS, Transition Assistance Program. But it was all focused on getting a job, which I know is important. But since I was going to be a stay-at-home mom and wasn't worried about getting a job, I was like, this class is pointless. It's not helpful. And I didn't understand why they were so like, you need to get a job. And then I left and I lost my identity of being an officer in the military and having a purpose and a passion to serve in the military. And then I switched to being a mom. and. Although I love being a mom, it wasn't like an immediate, I found the passion. It was really hard to make that switch. And babies, they cry a lot and they don't sleep as much as people say they do. And so (laughs) it was really challenging. And like the emotional uh, difficulties that I had where I felt no one ever said like, hey, you're getting out of the military emotionally it's going to be really hard and you should think about that and so I wanted to help women and men who are getting out to not be so blindsided by the emotional aspect of leaving the military and help them get connected with the veteran community to help them in their healing process of transitioning. What is your like number one best tip for someone who is having kind of a rough time making that transition? To get involved in the veteran community. I thought the veteran community would not accept me because I was a woman and I have found it to be so encouraging, so supportive. And I've, I don't feel so alone anymore because I have all these veteran friends that I can talk to and they're like, yeah, me too. And I'm like, Oh, I'm not this crazy person who's struggling through this transition and I'm the only one. And so If you, like, I think if you're a woman, you should get involved in the women veteran organizations in your area. 
and I can send you some links if you're um, if you want to put those in the show notes. But yes. there's there's Women Veteran Alliance is a national organization, and Service Women Action Network is another one, and Women Veteran Interactive. Those are like my top three national ones. But then there's also smaller ones based on like where you live, and if you if you're a woman and you get connected with other women veterans, it really, it's just an amazing community that you, for me, I really, I needed that community, but I didn't know that it was something I was missing. I was really p- pissed off at the military because I was like struggling so much through my transition. And so thinking like, I'm going to reach out to the veteran community just sounded like the dumbest idea ever, but it actually was the best thing for me. Do you mind, because you mentioned um, that you felt like you kind of lost your identity. Do you mind sharing kind of how you worked through that and what you found out about yourself through that process? Yeah, so I really struggled when I left to be a stay-at-home mom. I, I didn't realize how much I was giving up when I decided to be a stay-at-home mom and how tough it would be. And I think the funny part about my story is my blog started with me writing five minutes once a week. I was following a blogger and she did this thing called five minute Friday. And so when my son was less than six months old, I was like, if I can write for five minutes once a week, that'll be an accomplishment. And then it turned into five minutes twice a week and then a little bit more and a little bit more. And so it was a really slow process for me to like find myself, create my blog, figure out what I was doing with my blog, and then start my podcast. But I just took it one step at a time, and I didn't even really have like a goal of where I wanted to go. I just knew I needed to do something for me, and so that was where it started, writing five minutes once a week. I love that. That's... I... I struggled with like some of very like similar stuff when I graduated from college. Um, Cause I was a student my whole, like my whole entire life. I was always like in a really structured, rigid learning environment. And once I wasn't anymore, I was like, now what? And it took, it took like a good year to figure out what was like, what I needed to do to, can like can not only continue learning but to move forward into the next like part of my life yeah that makes sense and I would see how I would have skipped that because I went from college to the air force and then it wasn't until I left the air force that I was like okay now what (laughs) (laughs) what has been the best part about interviewing women in the military I think hearing the stories of women and feeling not so alone, like for me personally, I love talking to other women because there's so many connection points and so much validation from hearing their stories that even if our stories are really different, I still can connect to their story and I get something from it. And so for me personally, I just love getting to hear their stories and getting to talk to women veterans. Is there a a lot of the women that you talk to also military spouses? There are a handful of them. Uh, It went, 
I can't, I don't even know a percentage of how many it would be. Maybe like 25% would be in that category. There are a lot more veterans who are military spouses than people realize. And it's kind of a forgotten group. So we do talk about military spouse issues, especially like last week, or maybe it's next week. It's the <laughs> episode that I just edited. She she left the military to be a stay stay at home mom and military spouse, and so we spent a lot of time in the episode talking about that. So it does come up a lot. I was thinking about that, and I'm like, I wonder if it's easier to be a more understanding and better spouse to someone in the military if you've been in the military or been been involved in a career path that's similar to the military, like the police or fire department or a nurse or something like that. I think it has its advantages, especially if you've been in the military, because you understand like the lingo and the acronyms and like the mission and all this stuff that I don't really want to understand, but I do. (laughs) But I think, I think that military spouses who don't have any military experience i really admire them because they kind of have to like go into something like they don't know anything really they think they know stuff but really what you know from the internet is like so little compared to like what actually happens and so i think it does have an advantage um but it also can be really lonely and very isolating there is a detention or a divide between military spouses and women in the military sometimes and so sometimes when you're a military spouse and you're a veteran you don't tell people because if you do then they look at you kind of weird so I think it has its advantages like with your relationship with your husband or wife but I think in the military spouse community sometimes it can be a negative thing. I know that's something that um my friend Kayla struggled with a lot when she was um at a base closer to where I live now she said that it was hard and she's reserved so it's a little it's also a little bit different there too but um I know that was something she really struggled with was with the other wives how has this platform and interviewing women how has it like helped you grow and what has it taught you Mm, that's a good question I guess it's taught me that I'm not as alone as I thought I was and it also has taught me like how freaking awesome women in the military are. I hear the most amazing stories and people are funny because they'll be like, how can I be on your podcast? I'm like, "Uh, be a woman and be a veteran. (laughs) And people are like, no, you have to scream people more than that. And I'm like, no, I don't because women veterans, they're awesome. And so it's like, that's my screening process. The only problem I have now is because I have too many women who want to talk to me and I can only do so much um, podcast you know one a week right and so but I really just I have gotten some opportunities to interview some uh, some generals and I got to interview the secretary of the air force and that was really cool but their stories are just as interesting as like someone who only served four years it's like it doesn't really matter what comes after their name or their title it's like they just have done like these things that people need to hear about and even though I thought I knew a lot about women veterans I didn't know anything (laughs) and I've learned so much stuff so I really enjoyed that do you think that it's like 
helped you find an identity as this storyteller in, in this community of female veterans and even more specifically like female veteran military spouses? Yeah, it's definitely helped me find an identity and a purpose because one of the coolest parts is like I already talked about women looking to join the military, but they like listen to the podcast and they tell me how much it's helping them as they're trying to figure out if they want to join the military. And it just, those emails just give me such determination to keep going on the hard days and to keep sharing. And so it's, it's been really an unexpected adventure. And I just love that I can help people through helping myself by listening to other people's stories. So it's really cool. Do you listen to Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard? No. You should. It's really funny. Do you know who he is? Yes, I do. Okay. He talks on it a lot about, like, building esteem. And he's, like, really open. He um, is really involved with, like, the Alcoholics Anonymous community in the Los Angeles area. And he's a sponsor for, I don't, I mean, I don't know how that works. I'm not involved with AA, but he's a sponsor. And he talks about, like, whenever he's having, like, a really, really bad day, he checks in with the people that, like, he's sponsoring and tries to find another way to help them and helping them makes him feel good. And he's like, it builds up your own like esteem. He's like, so it's, it like feels really altruistic, but it's not, it's like selfish, but it's good. like, it's good selfish. Right. Yeah. I, I did a program similar to AA, but um, it was called celebrate recovery and it's a similar process, but for, hurt habits and hangups and it was mainly to deal with anger and the last step in the 12-step process is to give back and like it sounds so like nice like oh you give back it's so great but really you're giving back because you're helping yourself and it's like continuing your recovery as you go through the process so yeah like it's for you just as much as it's for everyone else (laughs) it's true yeah what is advice you would give to someone who loves what you're doing with your platform and wants to do something similar? So my biggest advice would be to figure out who you want to talk to. It's like the weirdest marketing advice is that if you want to talk to everyone, you have to talk to someone really specific. And if you're trying to talk to everyone, then you're going to talk to no one. So I specifically try and focus on women veterans and it feels like a really niche market because it is a really small market when you like compare it to like everyone else who's not in the military. But because I'm so focused, people know exactly like what I'm going to talk about and it's helped me grow in ways that I couldn't understand. So know where you want to focus and like really narrow down what your audience is and that way people know what your focus is and then they'll start following you. We actually talk about that a lot on the other podcast that I co-host. It's called creative banter and we're photographers over there. So we do a lot of creative projects and that's something that we talk about is like, you have to know who your target audience is. Like, who do you want to be taking pictures of? What do they look like? Where do they shop? What does their like, family situation look like what does their financial situation look like like if you know all of those 
then you can find them and bring them to your business. Right. Because you might think like, oh, a photographer, they just take pictures of everyone. But if they're if they're growing, they're like a wedding photographer or, you know, they take pictures, portraits or whatever. And it's really interesting when you like do the like backwards research of like how it all works. Oh, my God. It's yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) What are you most proud of? I would just say, I know it sounds silly, but I think starting the podcast, I was really terrified that I would start this podcast and no one would listen and that I would not have enough stories to tell. Like, I remember when I was first starting, I, A, interviewed 12 women, so I would have, like, 12 weeks of stories to start. And then I was like, okay, and if I have zero more women sign up, then I could talk about this and I could talk about that. And I had like all these backup plans. And now I have so many women signing up. I don't know what to do. But it's, I think, just getting started because there was like, I kept being like, oh, well, this came up and then this came up. And so then when I finally launched the podcast and got started, that was a really big step. Have you considered doing like mini episodes? Like you said, you get like all these people who are like really want to come on and like tell their story and stuff, but you only do one release per week. Have you considered doing something like that? So that way you could have more people or is it just like, that's a lot of extra work, a lot of extra editing. Yeah. It's, it's more that I just like, I mentally can't handle more than one episode. And I don't, I think if I cut them short, cause some of my episodes are like 30 minutes and then some of them are an hour. It just depends on like the story and how much the person wants to talk or share about their experience. Cause I generally follow like the same general questions for each interview. And so I wouldn't want to have to be like, Oh, it's 20 minutes. We're done. Uh, so yes. So I don't, I'm working to start a YouTube channel um so that I can start doing more like solo episodes talking about like advice for women who are joining the military and because right now I do one solo episode on the podcast every month and so if I can move that over to like YouTube then that's one more episode each month but okay yeah I was just curious um about that or you could do solo episodes as an additional release if you yeah What would you be doing if you weren't podcasting and blogging? Well, my degree is in civil engineering. So, I mean, I think I would probably be engineering. um, But I really was not that excited about doing engineering work after being in the Air Force. And I found it pretty boring. I really like math and doing the calculations but when you like do actual engineering most often you're doing like spreadsheets and cost evaluations and stuff that's not really that exciting so I mean I guess I would probably be doing engineering because that's what I got my degree in I even got my professional engineering license um but now I'm doing this so (laughs) what uh what does a civil engineer do so civil engineers are responsible for building stuff that doesn't move. So like bridges, houses, uh, skyscrapers, roads. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. There's probably more stuff that they do, but that's the general idea. 
So does someone who's an architect, do they also, are they also often civil engineers? They're connected to civil engineers. Our architects make civil engineers work pretty. Um, and then engineers tell architects, like, you, you can't build that because you need, like, a hook holding the building up from the sky. So the two work together, and the engineers help say, like, you need to put these structures in to make this design, and the architects make it so it's not just, like, a square building that's really boring to look at. Okay, that makes sense. I realized when you were talking about that that's what you went to school for, I was like, I don't actually know what they do. <laughs> yeah. I I didn't really know about engineering until I started the Air Force ROTC program, and they were like, you should be an engineer, and I was like, okay. You're like, I like math. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So. Uh, so you were involved with ROTC when you were in college? Yeah, the ROTC program is you go for typically four years your freshman through senior year of college and the summer between your sophomore and junior year you go to what they call field training which is like an officer basic training and then when you graduate college you go straight into the air force or whatever branch you are going into so with that does it like the college that you go to like this is an air force rotc this is a navy rotc or is it kind of all the same yeah, they each have their own. The college I went to had Army ROTC and Air Force ROTC. Okay. So, yeah. And they were totally separate. They We did a few, like, joint training things together, but most of the time we were off separate doing our own thing. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I think that's kind of all the questions that I've got for you. Is there anything else you would like to share? I don't think so. I really had fun talking to you and getting yes. to share a little bit of my story where can we find you online so my blog is airmentomom.com and you can find me on social media at airmentomom on facebook instagram twitter and linkedin and then my podcast is called women of the military thank you for having me thank you so much for listening today if you enjoyed the episode please feel free to connect with me on social media one more time, it's at Ranch Collective Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. See you next week.